Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Now, this doesn't happen to me uh, very often, but when I was preparing for my message this week, uh, I just I woke up, I forget what day it was, Tuesday or Wednesday morning, and I just felt like the Lord said real, real clearly, it wasn't much either. He said, preach from John 8, 10. So I was like, okay. First of all, I was like, oh my Lord, what's in John 8, 10? <laughs> I thought I remembered what the story was, and when I went back to look, it was. So why don't we go there? I want to follow the Holy Spirit today, see what God has for us. Let's go to John chapter 8. We're going to begin, though, in verse 3 to get a little context, and then we'll jump right in. Amen. John chapter 8 verse 3 says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Watch out, Jesus. Here they come. Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down. And he wrote on the ground. And in this, verse 9, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And now Jesus turns his attention toward her. The Bible says Jesus straightened up and asked her, Hey, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I want to preach on this subject today, no longer condemned. No longer condemned. Let's talk about forgiveness today. Amen. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be with the people of God. I pray that our hearts would be open, ready to receive what your word would say to us today. We love you and we thank you. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Now. You know, from time to time, we'll hear a story that will remind us that there are people living in this world who dare to actually live a life of what I would call radical forgiveness. One such story comes from the Amish community. Some of you may remember this event. It happened back in October 2006. There was a 32-year-old dairy truck driver by the name of Charles Roberts who entered into a one-room Amish schoolhouse in a town called Nickel Mines, in a town, uh, Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Mr. Roberts was armed with a 9mm handgun, a, a rifle, a 12-gauge shotgun, two knives, and 600 rounds of ammunition. Charles, Robert, and his wife, Amy, had three young children. The family attended church, but Charles Roberts was a deeply embittered man. 
Because nine years earlier, the couple's firstborn child, a daughter, had died only 20 minutes after her birth. Now, you got to remember, they've had three children since this time. But driven by the unforgiveness that he held against God for her death, Mr. Roberts became a twisted and a violent man. Nine years of anger that had been building up. Unforgiveness toward God. Unprocessed grief, no doubt. Bottled up bitterness. It finally boiled over on this fall morning. Instead of this one-room Amish schoolhouse, inside of this one-room Amish schoolhouse was a teacher and 26 students. Roberts went in with his weapons, and he told the teacher and all the boys to leave. He kept the 10 girls of the class. They ranged in age from 6 to 13, and he announced to them, I'm going to make you pay for my daughter. I'm going to leave the details out because of our young audience that have joined us here today, but when it was all said and done, all 10 girls were victims, some surviving, and then Mr. Roberts turned the gun on himself. If you remember the story, the world was shocked from these tra this tragic news. I don't know how many of you remember that day that happened. But as the story unfolded, the world was soon shocked by something totally unexpected, something nobody was prepared for, a demonstration of forgiveness by the Amish that transcended this tragedy. Within hours of the killings, a group of men from the Amish community went to Mr. Roberts' home. They weren't there as vigilantes. They weren't there to burn the house down. They weren't there to taunt his wife. But they found his wife, Amy, not out of vengeance, not out of revenge, but they went there to express forgiveness. They brought with them gifts of food to Mrs. Roberts and to her children, and they told her, we forgive your husband, and we have no animosity toward you. And then they also promised they were going to help her in the future by providing whatever she would need. Five days later at the funeral, Mr. Roberts, the man who had killed all these innocent school children, family members gathered to bury him. And then more than half of the mourners that were there were from the Amish community. Some of them, hear me, the very parents who had just buried their own children a few days before. The funeral director commented, and when he had witnessed the kindness of the Amish community at Mr. Roberts' burial, he said this, and I quote, he said, this is something that I'll never forget, not ever. I knew that I was witnessing a miracle. And you see, this Amish act of forgiveness was so radical that it actually changed the national media's headline, their storyline that was coming out of that town. Instead of calling it the Nickel Mines tragedy, they started calling it the Nickel Mines miracle of forgiveness. The Amish community didn't talk about reprisal or revenge or getting even or making someone pay. They instead chose to be active practitioners of the same kind of forgiveness that Jesus had demonstrated when he carried his cross to Golgotha and he extended forgiveness to his murderers. Amen. See, the Amish understood that there's really only one way to bring healing out of all of this chaos and madness, and that is forgiveness. Amen. Ever since Cain killed Abel, the way of the world has always been to, for shed blood to cry out for more shed blood. But the Amish there in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, demonstrated the life-changing power of forgiveness. 
And you see, forgiveness lies at the very heart of God's desire to set right our world, which how many of you will admit it has gone miserably wrong? Amen? The gospel that we preach and that changed our lives, hear me, it's not just a saving gospel, but it is also a gospel of reconciliation. It is a gospel of love. It is a gospel of mercy. Amen. See, forgiveness is not just something that we enjoy as recipients of His forgiveness. But hear me, Jesus raised the bar for all of us to say that we love Him in the area of forgiveness toward others. Hear the words of Christ, Matthew 5, 43. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, look at this, what reward is there for that? He said even corrupt tax collectors do that much. Verse 47, if you're, only, if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anybody else? Even the pagans do that. Jesus said the status quo is to love our neighbors and hate our enemies, right? The status quo is to pray for our friends and hate our persecutors. The status quo is to bless the good guys and hate the bad guys, right? But hear me, Jesus is calling us to a higher place. A place where we not only get to accept the fact that He no longer condemns us... But he is calling us to a place where we can learn to not condemn others. Amen. See, returning good for good and evil for evil, it's the way that the world has always operated, right? It's the way we're wired to behave. Amen. That's just who we are. It's what comes natural to most of us. And that's also why this world remains such a violent and destructive and chaotic place. But in order for, to be like Christ, we've got to imitate his love and his kindness. Amen. Which he extended to friend and foe. To the good and the bad. To the likable and to the unlikable. And by the way, hear me. Jesus didn't just give this message of love your enemy in the safe confines of suburban Richmond. He wasn't sitting in a room like this that was 70 degrees with Panera and coffee. Amen. You know where he was? He preached this message in a day when they were living in total chaos. Jesus was at the time when he was on earth. Was in an extremely violent world where his homeland was occupied by foreign occupiers. The Romans. And the Romans were known for their oppressive brutality. The Roman government and military. They were known to have crucified over 500 Jews a day. And you know what they did with their body? They put the crosses on the sides of the road. To inflict fear upon the Jewish population. When Jesus was a small child. Now this is not in your Bible. But this is in history. The, the, there was a Jewish rebellion. A revolt against the Roman occupiers. And it was crushed by the Romans. And you know what they did? They crucified 2,000 Jews. And lined their bodies up on the streets. Now you talk about something that will make you think twice. About a rebellion. You don't really think about it. It makes what's going on right now in our world, it pales by comparison to the world that Jesus came to save. 
The world that Jesus walked into when he said, love your enemy. The one just outside the door. The one that just crucified your neighbor. And by the way, there's his body. It's still hanging on the cross. you got to love that enemy. See, Jesus spoke about loving your enemy in a world where real enemies were just outside. Understanding this context, I think it really makes the words of Jesus all that more astounding. It makes those words of Jesus, it gives it a little bit more weight, doesn't it? Forgiveness is how God saves the sinner, but forgiveness is also how God heals our world. Amen? Forgiveness of others is one way that he brings peace back into our lives. And hear me, we who call ourselves Christians, we are recipients of a forgiveness that flows from the cross. Not just any cross, but the cross of the crucified Christ. Come on, the cross of Jesus. And just as significantly, we have been called to be practitioners of Christ-like forgiveness. We can't just partake of the forgiveness of the cross and not be willing to extend it to other people. Amen. We too may be called upon at some point in our lives, even in the midst of our pain, to do what Jesus did when he looked at those that were killing him and he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. In a world that is framed in revenge and hatred and uh, hypocrisy and self-righteousness, as Christians, Jesus is challenging us to live at a higher level and to love in a different way. See, to be a Christian not only means we believe that saving forgiveness is found at the cross, it also means we have to try to be imitators of Jesus. Yeah. We're called to be His ambassadors by doing the same thing with our own cross. And when it comes to forgiveness, Christianity, you know what, to be honest, it might feel a little bit more radical than what some people bargain for. (laughs) Many people, they just want a a feel-good, goosebump religion. The kind that allows us to say we love Jesus, but we can still harbor our prejudice. The kind that says that we love Jesus, but we can still have animosity toward our neighbor. Come on, the kind that says Jesus loves everybody, but we're not going to love everybody. There's certain people that we're just, come on somebody. You see, but Jesus is calling us to a higher level. Christianity really is a radical relationship. Not one inspired by hate, but one inspired by love. For who? Our enemies, our accusers, our haters. See, salvation was not obtained out of a bargain bin or at a yard sale. Amen? It was obtained with a cost. The blood of Jesus. The breaking of a body. A crown of thorns pressed into his skull. Spikes driven into the bones of his hands and feet. Amen? Extending forgiveness sometimes feels like that kind of cross. See, you know what kind of cross we want? The pretty silver one. Hangs around our neck. Come on. We want the little nice gold ones that fit really nice in our earlobes. Not not too big. Not, not, you know, just really nice. Nice clean crosses, right? We want the kind we can put on a chain and put around our wrist. We want the kind we can put up on the wall. And go, oh, look, that's the cross. No, no, no. Jesus calls us to a cross that was covered with his blood. Jesus calls us to a cross that involved pain and agony for our forgiveness. And then he said, I need you to imitate what I have done. 
See, the bloody, painful cross, we got to take up that cross. See, it's easy to fall into the modern trap of consumer Christianity, right? We like comfortable, easy, cheesy, cotton candy Christianity, amen? A low-grade Christianity of what's in it for me. But hear me, if your Christianity really only affects your Sunday morning religion, guess what? We're just embracing a Christianized version of humanism. We really are, amen? Amen. If, if the only time you ever have, if you never have conflict with your God, He's never challenging you, guess what? You're just serving a self-made impression of yourself. Come on. See, we're not, God is not made in our image. We're made in His image. And He's calling us to a higher level. That's the kind of religion the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. He taught about that before he was executed for opposing Adolf Hitler in World War II. Here's what Bonhoeffer wrote about the cheap grace of modern Christianity. He said, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. He said, it is the grace we bestow on ourselves Grace without a cross. Grace without a cross. Brian Zand wrote in his book, Unconditional. By the way, if you, if you ever battle with forgiveness, I recommend you buy that book, Unconditional. Brian Zand, Z-H-A-N-D. He said this. He said, we aren't just forgiven. We are forgiven that we might become practitioners of radical forgiveness. And then he wrote, and I love this line. He said, we are forgiven forgivers. We are forgiven forgivers. That is good. Yet so difficult to live out. See, we turn the gospel into cheap grace when we think of the cross only in terms of what Jesus has done for us. But the cross is also the way that we are called to follow Christ and to extend His grace to others. Hear me, not just the guy in your small group that you're friends with. He ticks you off, no big deal. You forgive him, you're still buddies, right? Not just the kind of, of forgiveness because of your husband and your wife that make you mad, right? you got to forgive them because you got to live with them. I'm not just talking about the kind of forgiveness when your kid disobeys you or somebody on the job aggravates you. Come on, I'm talking about what about your enemies? What about the bully that made your life chaos at school? What about the ex who betrayed you? See, we're called to a neither do I condemn you kind of forgiveness. What about the backstabber that sabotaged your career? The criminal that violated your security? The abuser that violated your dignity? The preacher that let you down? The annoying person that you know? Some of them Christians who advocate and support everything that you oppose. How many of you are, you don't have to raise your hand. Don't those people just irritate the fire out of you? Like, oh, you're supposed to be a believer. You know, sometimes that's our righteousness, self-righteousness crying out. We need to just let some of these people work out their own salvation, amen? Focus on ourselves. See, because hear me, forgiveness when it is not easy. Forgiveness when there's no easy way to bypass it. As people that believe in the victory of the cross, you know what? We need to reclaim the triumphant power of forgiveness. Hallelujah. Because without forgiveness, evil and hurt is allowed to write the final word. Unforgiveness is passed on, and you've seen it from generation to generation, like some demonic virus. 
It's like the Hatfields and McCoys. After generations, they're just killing each other. They don't even know why. I don't even know how this feud started, but there's one of those. They're my enemy, or so I've been told. See, forgiveness, though, can change all of that. Now, can I tell you what forgiveness is not? It's not amnesia. It's not ignorance. Forgiveness is not pretending that something bad did not happen to you. Forgiveness is not trying to tell ourselves that something that was wrong is now not wrong. Come on, I'm telling you, none, none of those things are forgiveness. But sin and injustice does not get to have the final word when you implement forgiveness into your life. Come on, hallelujah. So how do we accomplish forgiveness? Well, it really just begins with love. The love that Jesus puts in us that he allows us to give to others. Love means I don't keep score anymore. Love is a choice. It's an act of the will. When the Pharisees brought in the woman that was taken in adultery, the story that I felt I was supposed to talk about today, they were within their legal rights, by the way. They had the law on their side. They were allowed to kill that woman for her sin. I know that sounds terrible. The rule book said she's guilty. Stone her. So here they come. Stones in hand, ready. Almost got a little oil in hand, amen. And they're ready, you know, they say, they go to Jesus, hey Jesus, Moses said, they're already trying to stump, make him stump, Moses said, in other words, the law says, we can kill her. What do you say? Hey Jesus, read the story. They just kept badgering him, kept badgering him, he's writing in the sand. They keep asking him questions. Keep. So finally he raises up and he says, you know what, guys? I'm paraphrasing, by the way. You know what? You're right. You can kill her. Matter of fact, get your stones ready. Man. Oh, all right. Get ready. Who's going to throw out the first pitch? Yo, I'll tell you who. You got whichever one of you is without sin. You go ahead and throw the first stone at her. And you know what? I love this part of the story. It says... They started leaving one by one, the oldest first. <laughs> yeah. The old guys know, oh, man, he just pulled my card. I wonder who knows about Sally. I wonder who knows about the time I cheated on the job. I wonder who knows about how many times I've cheated on my taxes. I wonder how many know, if they know about my, my addiction, my problem. And you know what? And one by one. They started laying down their stones, and they started to disappear until finally they were all gone. And then Jesus turns his attention. He said, hey, where are your accusers? She said, Lord, there are none. And I love it. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And folks, here's what I want to remind us about. You know what? It's very easy to look at the Pharisees. We're not Pharisees. Most of us are not Pharisees. We're not that way. But you know what? We've all got stones in our pocket. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to talk about it, right? And, and sometimes, sometimes we do really good and we pray about it. And guess what? We can get rid of them for a little while. Or maybe we can trade the big ones for smaller ones. And then you think you got it beat, right? And then one day... You open up the dryer, and you go, what's that in the dryer? Oh, that was a stone that was in my pocket that I forgot about. 
I used to work construction, and Robin used to always, she'd come up to me, and there'd be a nut or a screw or a piece of metal or a key. And she was like, and she already knew. It, it fell out of my pocket, stuff that I forgot was in my pocket. My grandson, Mason, last week, we caught some crabs, and I saw him on Monday and uh, at the store, and he walked up to me, and guess what? He said, hey, Papa, look what I got. And it was a crab foot. <laughs> He'd had that crab in his pocket for like three or four or five days. I'm not sure, amen. <laughs> but he was carrying that little crab foot in, around in his pocket. Here's what I know, guys. You know what? Sometimes I think we try to lay the stones down, and we really want to lay them down. But then we get reminded of something, or somebody says something. And then all of a sudden, that thing from 10 years ago, somebody, they just got to bring it back up. And guess what? Real quick, you're like, man, I still got one of those in there. Or thanks a lot. You just made me pick it up and put it back in my, you know what Jesus said? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And the truth is, you and I have to understand, it's not easy to forgive others. When we understand that, and I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter of the Bible. That's where it starts, by the way. It's a demonstration of forgiveness. And the key to this wonderful passage is found in verse 5. And it says this, love keeps no record of wrongs. Don't you love how we read that scripture at a wedding and everybody's just, they're just looking at each other. Uh, they're just gooing and God, and then the preacher goes, and love keeps no record of wrongs. He's like, oh, I'll never keep record of any wrongs. I'll always forgive you. I'll always love you. And you know what? Easier said than done. And you know what? And I'm going to say this. And the worse the grievance, the worse the offense. I'm just going to tell you right now, forgiveness is not easy work. You know what forgiveness is? Sometimes it's a lifetime of laying stones down for the same old thing that you thought you had victory over. Sometimes it's a lifetime of forgiving the same old joker. Man, you have a great service. You come down and you cry and you pray. Go, oh, whoo, I finally got this off my back. And about three months later, you're like, oh. There it is again, this cross that I have to carry. Neither do I condemn you. So what happens if we don't learn to forgive others? Jesus was pretty clear about it, guys. Matthew 6, 15, there's what he said. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, your Father will not forgive your trespasses. There it is again, the higher level of living, right? Jesus said, look, if you won't forgive, he won't forgive. Why does God so hate an unwillingness to forgive? Number one, it shows an indifference to the great things God did in our own lives. This greatest thing was the Son of God dying on the cross for our sins. And to be forgiven, it's the most wonderful thing in the world, Amen. But in order to forgive us, Jesus paid the ultimate price. God did for us what we did not deserve. And for that, He wants us to pass this on to other people. 
Can I just say it? Sometimes to people who don't deserve it. You know another reason God doesn't like it when we don't forgive? Because we disrupt God's purpose for hurting people, and that is reconciliation. Amen. You do not want to be the cog in the wheel of someone's progress toward God. God loves reconciliation. He has given, the Bible says, the ministry of reconciliation to us. We are part of the plan to help some people find God. And He wants it to continue in our lives. And when we are forgiven, He wants us to pass it on. We interrupt that flow by not passing it on when we do not forgive. When we don't forgive, number three, God sees ingratitude. God knows the sins for which he's forgiven us, and he loves a grateful response. It's kind of like that story in Matthew 18. If you've read that story, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but if you've not read it, there's a story about this rich guy, this master, and this servant owes him a bunch of money, and they bring him in, and the guy's like, and the servant falls down. He's like, please, please forgive me of my debt. If you'll just give me time, I'll pay you back everything that I owe. Please be patient with me. That's what he said. You know what the master did? Not only was he patient with him, the Bible says he just canceled his debt. He said, you know what, man? You're off the hook. Go. This guy goes skipping out. He's so happy. And guess who he skips right into? A guy that owes him money. Now, if you had just forgiven me of this great big debt, guess what I'm probably going to be inclined to do? Kevin, God bless you, man. You don't know what just happened to me. You know that little bit of money you owe me? Man, forget about it. I'm going to pay it forward. Nope, that's not what the story says. You know what the Bible says that guy did? He grabbed the guy by the throat. And he starts demanding for him. He said, pay me what you owe me. And the guy couldn't pay. And guess what he did? He had him thrown in jail. Well, guess what happened when the master found out? He brought that joker back in. And the Bible says he threw him into the debtor's prison. And then here's how Jesus summed up the whole story in Matthew 18, 35. Praise team, come on back up. He said, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. Here it is. From your heart. Now, now can I just say something? That I think is real, it's not in the Bible, but I'm just going to say it. I think sometimes forgiveness starts on the lips before it ever makes it to the heart. Because I'm going to just tell you right now, if you've done me or my family really wrong, I might say I forgive you, but it's going to take a, a while for it to come out of my heart. Is it all right to just be honest right now? Are there any real people in the house, amen? Come on. It takes time for it to come from your heart. It takes a whole lot of prayer for it to come from your heart. It takes a whole lot of tears sometimes for it to come from your heart. It takes a lot of wrestling back and forth with your flesh for it to come from your heart. It takes a lot of remembrance of just how much Jesus has done for me for it to come from the heart. It takes a whole lot of me remembering how many times I've messed up. And then it's really not fair for me to hold somebody else to a higher standard than I hold myself. Neither do I condemn you. Folks, can I just tell you, sometimes I'm at that level of living and then sometimes I'm not. Sometimes it's easy for me to pray for my enemies. Oh, you're a pastor. You're not supposed to have enemies. Well, call it what you want. 
my haters, if that makes you feel more comfortable. Because we all got them, right? Haters going to hate. But lovers going to love. Jesus calls us to do that. There have been times I've shed tears over my haters. Then there's been times I've gritted my teeth over my haters. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. Because he's still working on me. I want you to stand with me all over this house. Forgiveness. The last thing I want to say about forgiveness. It's hard to forgive your enemies, but you know who else it's hard to forgive? Yourself. And I want to close this service by reminding everybody in this place, some of us right now, we're being held hostage, not by the people that have hurt us. We're being held hostage by our own mistakes, our own guilt. And by the way, this is where condemnation comes in. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction on us and help us to understand that what we've done is wrong or that we have sin in our life and conviction comes on us and it leads us to what? Godly repentance. That's what the scripture said. But you know what the difference is between conviction and condemnation? Thank you, sir. Condemnation is when the devil comes along and he defines you by what you did. And he condemns you as a person. You are not a child of God. You are a failure. You are a loser. You are whatever that label is. Whatever that grievance was. Whatever that mistake was. That's condemnation. And you know what the Bible says? There is no condemnation. Come on, to those who are in Christ. There's conviction. Conviction drives you to the altar. Condemnation drives you away from the cross. That's why you've got to forgive yourself. Now, I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm not talking about sloppy agape. I'm talking about I've got to live for Jesus, and I've got to admit when I'm wrong, and I've got to forgive myself, and I've got to get up, and I've got to move forward. So today, I'm going to open up this altar as they sing to two groups of people. Number one, actually three groups of people. Number one, if you have never experienced Christ's forgiveness in your life, if you're not a believer, I invite you to come down to this altar and ask Jesus into your heart and repent of your sins and begin that journey today. Invite Christ into your life. Become a believer, amen. Make that first step. Meet Him at the cross and receive His forgiveness. Can somebody say praise God for that? That's some of you in this room are watching online. Secondly, those of you who are having a hard time forgiving yourself, maybe it was an addiction, maybe it was a, a moment of, of sin, maybe it was something you said or did to someone, and it just constantly, I want you to come here and I want you to lay it at the cross and say, God, I'm not going to be held hostage by this anymore. You want to know one reason why I think Peter did so good on the day of Pentecost? Because when Jesus came after Peter denied him multiple times when Jesus showed back up for the first time and he stuck in the room you know what he said he said my peace I give unto you he didn't bring up all the failures he didn't say hey Peter I need to talk to you about the campfire 
I need to remind you about that rooster. Remember that rooster? I told you what was going to happen. Hey, Pete. No, no, no. And then you know what he did? He commissioned them to go back out. Never mentioned all the hiding and the running and the failures and the betrayal. Never mentioned any of And he just sent them back out. And so Peter boldly stands on the day of Pentecost. And he proclaims the message of the gospel. And then he implores them in Acts 2.38 when he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Peter stood there with authority. You know why? Because I think he realized, to whom much is given, much is required. And he forgave me. So I'm going to do my best for him. That's the next group I want to talk to. I want you to come and say, you know what, Lord? I don't want my ministry to be compromised. I don't want my future to be obstructed because of some mess up in my past. And then the last group I want to invite you to come. And some of you may have a name. You may have a face. You may have a moment. But you've wrestled with unforgiveness. And the reason why this is such an important, I could do a whole series on forgiveness. I could preach for 10 weeks over here, but there, it's so important that you let those people go so you can let yourself go. It's important that you forgive them. And by the way, that doesn't mean you got to be best buddies with them, but you can't, you, can't just, you can't just go through your whole life hating them. You've got to say, Lord, give me the grace to forgive them. If it takes 70 times 7, Give me the grace to forgive it. If I got to wake up every morning, whatever it takes, God, because I cannot be held hostage. I will not be bitter. I will not pass a generational bitterness onto my children. We will not have Hatfields and McCoys. So I want to invite you to come as they sing. Accept Christ. Accept His forgiveness. Or ask for His grace to help you forgive others. Could you come right now? Would you come praise him? Go ahead and sing. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sing no more. Amen. As the Spirit was moving over the Come on, that's it. Let the Holy Spirit move right now. God, I forgive them. I forgive my abusers. I forgive my family member. I forgive the offender. Father or a mother. 
to somebody next to you and begin to pray for them. You don't even have to ask them or lay your hand on their shoulder, whatever's convenient. Just begin to pray for them right now. You don't know what they might be going through, what they're dealing with. Ask God to give them grace. Come on, that's it. Ask God to give them grace. That's it. That's it.
Hey, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.